On August 28, 1963, uh, the greatest nonviolent protest in the history of the United States took place. And it took place on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., where I was there just a few weeks ago. And at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, Dr. Martin Luther King stood behind a podium in front of about 250,000 people, white and black, all longing for freedom in our country. And in his speech, he said, obviously, many memorable things. We've studied this speech in school. We've studied, we've watched the clips on YouTube. And he said many, many memorable things, but perhaps the most riveting moment, at least for me, are those final words when Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a Baptist preacher, who, so he had a little bit of that rhythm to him in the way he spoke. He preached. And when he got to the end of his speech, he reached that old black Baptist preacher crescendo where he said, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet and from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty with His hands in the air, we are free at last. And Dr. King's speech was a speech about freedom. But what's interesting about that speech is that Dr. King made that speech technically as a free man. I mean, he was technically free. I mean, it was 1963, so I mean, we were free, right? I mean, it was 100 years earlier that President Lincoln issued an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed slaves in all of the southern states during the Civil War. And then after the Civil War, the northern states abolished slavery for good through what we know now as the 13th Amendment. So if freedom for black Americans and for Americans happened in 1863, why was Dr. King preaching about it 100 years later and longing for it? He even answers this question in his speech. He said, here we are 100 years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation, after the 13th Amendment, and the Negro is still not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. And he was referring to the discrimination of minorities in America. Different schools, different water fountains, different swimming pools, different counters at diners, different seats on buses. People who worked just as hard as other Americans, but they weren't paid equal, equally. People who worked just as hard, but they didn't have the same opportunities to advance beyond their station in life. And the point is this, freedom had been proclaimed and had been declared and announced in the United States in 1863, but it hadn't yet fully been experienced in 1963. It had been won, yes, but it had not yet fully been gained. And see, it's one thing, church, to proclaim freedom. 
But it's something entirely different to experience it and to fully walk in it. See, in Christianity, we often proclaim our freedom. This is what we talk about. We're free. This is what we just sang about. Freedom. But how many of us seem not to be able to walk in it as easily as we proclaim it? We proclaim it, but we have difficulty walking in it, experiencing it. And we tell people, you can be free through the gospel. You can be free through the gospel of Jesus, but we, also, but we still fail to treat people as free people. 1,900 years before Dr. King, the Apostle Paul gave his speech on freedom as well. Dr. King gave a speech in 1963, but in A.D. 50, the Apostle Paul gave a speech on freedom, and he called it the book of Galatians. And it's the book we're studying right now. And in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, Paul addresses the same issue. Freedom has been declared, but why aren't we experiencing it? Why aren't you experiencing it? Why aren't you walking in it? See, the Apostle Paul, in this book where we come to today, for 14 years he had preached the good news of Jesus' perfect life, his gruesome death, and his powerful resurrection. And Paul announced to the world that if anyone would just believe and trust in Jesus, they could be accepted by God and they could be free from the burdens of trying to appease and try to impress him. You can be free, Paul said. You can be assured of God's love for you. God is pleased with you because he's pleased with Jesus, period. That's the gospel. Jesus plus nothing else, you can be free. But as people began to hear Paul's message and began to hear of Paul's ministry throughout all of the world, some of the Jewish Christian missionaries called the Judaizers, uh, in Acts it calls them the circumcision party, which to be honest with you doesn't sound like much of a party to me. (laughs) Not a party I'm attending anytime soon. But they had heard about Paul and they started to get nervous. They say, Paul, we like that you're preaching about Jesus because we, we like Jesus. We're down with Jesus. But you're missing some things, Paul. You're telling people that they can be free, Jesus plus nothing. And it made them nervous. And, but you, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but you also need to follow Jewish traditions, mainly circumcision. If you're not a Jewish person and you want to become a Christian, you must become Jewish. And that's difficult to tell adult males that they need to become Jewish. They need to be circumcised. They need to stop eating bacon. Jewish laws. But that's what they were saying. To really be one of us, you've got to become one of us. To really be in God's people, you've got to become Jewish. And just like that, these Judaizers added to the work of Jesus. Paul was saying Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. They were saying Jesus plus becoming Jewish equals your salvation. And while Paul was preaching a message of freedom, Jesus plus nothing, others were preaching a message of bondage. You need to become like us. You need to do these things in order for Jesus, his love for you to fully take effect. And so I want us today to look at Galatians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And we're going to read 10 verses. It says, after 14 years, this is Paul speaking, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel. The gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Yet because of false teachers, uh, because of false brothers that had secretly been brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to my gospel. 
On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us one thing, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, there's a lot packed into those ten verses. And you guys are really, really lucky that I'm not giving you I'm not preaching you all of my notes this week because this could easily be a three-hour message, but I'm not going to do that for you. I want to try to distill what's in these 10 verses as simply as I can, and I want to give it to you in three things, three points. The first is this, and that is that the gospel is a gift that we receive, not something that we earn. See, Paul had been preaching the gospel of Jesus for 14 years For 14 years, he had been preaching the gospel that it's Jesus plus nothing else that saves you. But now people were accusing him of preaching a cheap gospel to the non-Jewish people. They called it easy believism. You're telling people that all they have to do is believe. They don't have to become anything. Yeah, and they were saying, yes, you know, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, you need Christ to reconcile you to God, but you also need something more. You need to become Jewish. You You need to do some extra things. To really be one of us, you got to be like us. You must abandon your culture and become like us in every way. You've got to eat like us, dress like us, wash like us, perhaps maybe vote like us. And Paul says what you're doing is minimizing the cross of Jesus. Paul says to these Judaizers, he says what you are doing is you're telling people that the cross of Jesus only gets us halfway there and that we've got to run the rest of the way. And you've distorted the good news of Jesus. You have obliterated it. Not only have you distorted it, you've obliterated it. You've eviscerated the good news right out of the gospel is what Paul tells them. And so Paul is a little bit furious. He's contending for the gospel. And so he goes to Jerusalem where the other apostles are, Peter uh, and James and John, and he brings Titus along with him. See, Peter and James and John, they had been doing ministry primarily to Jewish people, so they weren't really dealing with the issue of do their converts need to be circumcised. So Paul, but everybody was saying Paul's preaching a different gospel than Peter, James, and John. So Paul goes up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John, and he brings Titus along with him. Titus is not Jewish. Titus is not circumcised. And Titus didn't follow Jewish customs. And Paul goes, takes Titus before the other apostles, and he says, Hey guys, Peter, James, John, this is Titus. I want you to talk to him. I want you to get to know him. I want you to, to, to ask him about his faith. And you tell me if he needs to be circumcised to be accepted by God. Or tell me if his faith in Christ is enough. And the apostles talked to Titus and they said, this is a no-brainer. Of course he's a Christian. Salvation comes through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, the apostles were on the same page as Paul. So for those who were accused Paul of preaching a different gospel than Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John said, no, that's crazy. This is the same gospel we're preaching. You don't have to become Jewish to be a Christian. You just need to believe in Christ. And they agreed with Paul, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And I don't want you to miss this. I know I'm repeating myself. You were here last week. I'm repeating myself. But don't miss this because I think it's easy for us to think that a first century debate in modern day Turkey about circumcision doesn't apply to us in the 21st century New York. What does the circumcision have anything to do with us? But we still see the propensity to add to the gospel is just as prevalent today as it was then in 50 AD. It just looks different in our lives. You hear this all the time. I hear people on Facebook. 
I hear people in conversation. I don't know how a true Christian can vote for that party. How can you be a real Christian and vote for that party over there or that party? And I hear this on both sides of the aisle. A real Christian, if you're a real Christian, you would give more of your money away. If you're a real Christian, you would never send your kid to public school. Anybody heard that one? I'm public school through and through. I'm not too messed up, I don't think. But you hear people all the time, a real Christian would never do that. A real Christian would never act like that. To be a real Christian, you must do these things or avoid these things. And what we often do is we love to take our convictions, which aren't a bad thing. It's good to have convictions about the way you school your children. (laughs) But it becomes a dangerous thing when you make those things prerequisites for what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. See, when we do that, we are just like the Judaizers that Paul is so adamantly opposed to. And I want you to know, church, the gospel is not something that we become. It's not something we live up to or earn. It's not something we receive. It is something that we receive. It's something we don't earn. It's something we receive by God's grace. It's not based on our merit, but it's based on the generosity of Christ. And yesterday, um, I was just overwhelmed with pride to be the pastor of this church. Because I went out yesterday morning, I don't know if you all know this, but several of our people from our church um, stood in front of our offices at the Crossroads Community Center, and we gave out free school supplies to kids in our neighborhood. And Linda did an excellent job of putting all that together and having the heart for that. And I was just watching just with this pride within me as a pastor going, look at, at, at the people in my church, like loving our neighbors Offering free school supplies so that kids don't have to go to school without the things they need. And what was so incredible was it was beautiful to see the look on the faces of our neighbors. They would come up to the table and they would go, you're really giving this away free? What do I need to do to get a notebook? What do I need to do to get a pack of pencils? What about a pair of scissors? Do I need to fill a form out or anything? No, just take it. Just here's a bag. Let me put it in your bag. Are you serious? Are you sure I can't pay you anything? Is there anything I can do? No, absolutely not. This is our gift to you. And then they would, many would say, why are you guys doing this? And the answer is this, because we love our neighborhood and we don't want any child in our neighborhood to go to school without the supplies they need to learn. See, church, this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel and this is why we do these types of things. Yes, we do these things to show our neighbors that we love them, but we also do these things because we believe that it's a picture of the gospel of a God who is unbelievably generous to us. At his own expense. He gave his son so that we could be forgiven. He asks nothing in return for us but to trust, to have faith, to receive the gift of grace. What do I have to do to get a pack of pencils? Nothing, just receive it. What do I have to do to receive the grace of Jesus? Nothing, just receive it in Christ. And listen, it's possible to reject the gift. Many people walked right on by yesterday. And many people reject the gift of Jesus. It's it's possible to reject it, but it is impossible to earn it. And that brings me to my second, second point, and that's this, that the gospel brings freedom, not bondage. See, Paul calls, he calls his opposition, he calls them false brothers or sham Christians. He says that they slipped in to the church to spy on our freedom so that they can bring us into slavery. Like they walk into the church and they're like, hmm, somebody might be free in here. We got to stop that. We got to put an end to that. But they're false brothers who slip into the church to spy on their freedom. And these are people that profess to be Christians, but they're false. They want to bring people under a weight of slavery rather than freedom. 
And I hear this all the time from people. I, I talk to people in our neighborhood all the time, at coffee shops, at diners, people who aren't Christians, because they always ask, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Well, and then they throw out all their stuff with Christianity. And I hear it. And one of the things I hear all the time is the church inhibits freedom. Christianity is too restrictive. And what's funny is when you read Galatians 2, Paul says, yeah, that's not a new charge. People have been saying this since the beginning. It's always been there. There have always been opponents of freedom from within the church since the beginning. Listen, the greatest threat to the gospel often comes from within the church uh, from those who claim to believe in the freedom of it. And why is this? And I'll tell you. Because freedom is dangerous, isn't it? Freedom is so dangerous. It's threatening. And those in power are not altogether comfortable with freedom. This is why false teachers want to suppress freedom. If you tell people, this is what the Judaizers are thinking. Paul, if you tell people that they are free in Christ, that Jesus plus nothing is salvation, they're going to abuse that grace. That was their biggest fear. That someone would come in, receive the grace of God, and then abuse it by doing whatever they wanted. So they, they felt like they had to put qualifiers on it. And Paul's like, no, you don't have to put qualifiers on God's grace. God's grace is grace. And listen, I want to be a little bit gracious to these false teachers. <laughs> as gracious as you can be to a heretic, right? <laughs> I think they meant well. They wanted to please God. They wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to live the right way and be moral. And they wanted others to be moral as well. But they began to put their convictions and what they thought the good life looked like for them onto others and added that to the work of Jesus for, on them. And see, this has happened all throughout history. If you look at the, study the history of foreign missions, especially foreign missions from a Western and American perspective, I've heard so many stories of well-meaning Christians throughout history who had a desire to take the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus to all over the world to countries where Jesus had never been spoken of. And they have a desire to address poverty, to instability in these countries. But many times, these missionaries from America or from England, they've gone into other parts of the world and they've confused the freedom of the gospel with a cultural message. So it's, there are many stories like this. Western missionaries go into Africa or inland China and they get converts to believe in Jesus. But then they make them cut their hair, change their clothes. you got to learn English. I've seen churches deep in Africa that are painted white and have a big steeple, like it's in the middle of New England or something. Churches in Africa that have a pipe organ, church pews, and choir robes inside them. Why did missionaries do this? Because inside, they somehow mixed up American Christianity with Christianity. And they exported gospel plus America when they went, took the gospel. And I think they were well-meaning. But they allowed their own cultural convictions to, to be embedded within the gospel that they proclaimed. And what they essentially, whether they meant to or not, they told these Africans, they told these Asians, they told them, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to become an American. And Paul says, no way, no way, no way. I heard a story about a tribe in Papua New Guinea one time, about a missionary that went to Papua New Guinea. And all the men in the tribe wore loincloths. I mean, you could see everything, okay? And the missionaries were just like, no, this is inappropriate. You can't walk around and everybody see that. Like, there, there are kids around. You can't. This. So the missionaries decided this was inappropriate. So you've got to wear pants. So all the people that had been converts that were Christians, they said, you've got to wear pants. And so the men, of course, they're going, okay, this is the missionary. We do what he says. They started wearing khaki pants. But it turns out these indigenous people weren't stupid, right? It rains every single day in Papua New Guinea. They started wearing pants. 
And their pants didn't dry as fast as the loincloths did. And many of the men in this village contracted pneumonia and died. See, Jesus plus nothing equals freedom. Jesus plus khaki pants equals death. (laughs) And Jesus plus anything else. Listen, Jesus plus anything else eviscerates eviscerates the freedom right out of the gospel. You see, the Judaizers, they saw the Jewish law as the ultimate code of morality. And in their zealousness for holiness, which is a good thing. I mean, morality, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But in their zealousness for it, they made Christianity primarily about being a good person and no longer about Jesus. And those outside the church began to feel judged. They began to feel ashamed and they began to feel like they didn't measure up. And the Gentiles felt like they had to become something else in order to be loved by Christ. And just this weekend, my wife was sharing the gospel with one of our neighbors. Uh, we've got a neighbor that we've just become friends with over the last year or so. And my wife was just speaking the gospel into her life. And was saying, you know, the gospel brings freedom. Christ is where you can find life and hope. And she texted my wife back. and She said, I'm so afraid to become a Christian because I'm so afraid that church people will judge me. Why do we keep doing this to one another? Why do we keep presenting a message to the world that says freedom or Jesus plus become like us? See, no wonder people perceive the church to be unsafe. How can we tell people to be free if they constantly live in fear of having the door shut back in their faces if they open up and are honest about what's really going on in their lives? See, we Christians, we keep doing this to people. And we do it for the best of motives. But we, all, we often, even for the best of motives, we want to add something to the grace of Jesus to set apart the true believers. One teacher refers to this as the ifs that we place on the other side of the gospel. God will love you if. God will love you when. And when you begin to place prerequisites on the love of God, you open yourself up and others to the greatest danger, and that is losing the freedom of the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel is that it brings freedom, not bondage. Rankin Wilburn, a teacher in Los Angeles, says, Why can we not simply announce God's acceptance in Christ as the first word in all of its scandalous grace? Why must we continually insist on adding something to the grace of Jesus? Why? The gospel is freedom. And if you want to know what the gospel is, it's this. That the one true God... The creator of everything became a man in Jesus and he lived a perfect and virtuous life that we should have lived. And he died a terrible death in our place that we should have died. And what we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us. And all that is necessary to be pleasing in his sight, Christ has done. And we can neither add to it by our virtue nor can we take away from it with our vice. The scriptures say that if we align ourselves with Jesus by belief in Him, that when we do that, when that happens, before God, we we can stand before God and when He looks at us, He doesn't see our failures, He doesn't see our mess-ups, He doesn't see our distorted desires. But if we are in Christ, like Paul says, if we are in Christ, God looks at us and He sees Jesus. And He says, you are my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Because you're forgiven. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel and it brings freedom. Why do you think John and Mary Lou could stand up here today? Why do you think Mary Lou could stand up here today and give a testimony and say, I hated my husband, I wanted him dead? What, why, how could she stand in front of a church, a bunch of religious people, and say that? 
Because she knows that she doesn't care what you guys perceive of her. Because she knows that she has freedom in the gospel and that by repenting and exposing and bringing her sin to the light, Jesus says, I'll take that upon myself on the cross. That's not you anymore. You are free from that. You can be vulnerable. You can be open. You can express your failures with others without fear of them thinking bad about you because what's the, wor- the worst that could happen is that they think bad about you, but that doesn't change anything about the way Jesus thinks of you. See, when we understand the gospel fully, that it's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation, we can be vulnerable and honest about who we are and who Christ is in us. And the last thing I want to say today is that the gospel motivates us to love others. See, when we grasp this, when we grasp the freedom of the gospel, we can now love and serve others fully, even those with whom we disagree, even with those with whom have cultures that make us scared or weird. They weird us out. Why can we do that? Because we're not threatened by them or their way of life. We know that the gospel of Jesus is equally available to them regardless of their past or of their present. And the best way to know whether the grace of God is in your life is if it flows out of your life. Are you a gracious person? Do people feel safe around you? Is there a Titus in your life? Is there a Titus in your life that may feel a little bit weird around other religious people, but around you feels comfortable to know who they are in Christ? Are you a gracious person? And often the the message of Christianity is this. Change! And become a follower of Jesus. But the message of Christianity is become a follower of Jesus and you will be changed. And when we say change and become a follower of Jesus, it shows that we have a lack of faith in the power of Jesus to transform our lives. And we insist on telling people that they've got to prove that they can be a good Christian before we can allow them to be one. But Jesus says, come to me. In Ezekiel, the prophet Isaiah said, and God will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And he will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you come to Jesus, you will be moved and shaped by his grace and you will be transformed. You will become more loving, you will become more patient, you will become more kind and more sacrificial. And being captivated by the gospel is what propels us to live lives of morality and live lives of service to others. And it looks just like this. I told you our back-to-school event yesterday. People were amazed that they could receive school supplies at no charge. I mean, it was too good to be true for many of them. They were like, you can give me that many notebooks? And they're like, coming back, you know, like, and then they come back with like a mask on. They're like, I want more, you know, you're like, you're like, that's the mustache. Like, that's like the thing, the Mr. Potato, what are you doing? Not really. Um, I'm tired. I'm so tired. Sorry. But people were amazed that they could receive school supplies at no charge. I mean, it was too good to be true to them. And they walked away with this joy on their face and this gratitude on their face. And there was one kid named Eduardo. And Eduardo comes up, he visits the table, and he's like, you, you're giving me free stuff? Like, what? They're like, yeah. So he takes his bag, he fills his bag up with his stuff, and then he walks his bag over to his father's bagel shop, drops it off, says, Dad, will you keep my stuff? And then he comes back out to us at the community center and says, hey, do you guys have any flyers? I want to pass these out to people. And Eduardo takes those flyers and starts walking up and down 4th Avenue telling people, hey, do you want free school supplies? They're giving some away right there. Church, this is us. This is what a gospel-transformed life looks like. We received the gift of grace of Jesus. We didn't earn it. It was given to us freely and generously. But out of gratitude and joy, we are now motivated to tell others about it. 
And we're motivated to serve others because Christ has served us. This is the freedom that the gospel brings. I've been given a great gift at no cost to myself. So I want to tell others how they can receive it. See, the message isn't become like us. Shape up. Do better. Try harder. The message is that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son and whoever would believe in Him. That's it. Not whoever would become Jewish or whoever would become Republican or whoever would become Democrat or whoever would become a Baptist or a Presbyterian. Whoever would believe in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. Freedom has been declared in the Gospel. Why do we want to keep adding to it? Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. It has been announced. Now as a church, we live to walk in that freedom. Will you pray with me?